0: Welcome to the Theology Mill podcast from Whitfenstock Publishers. My name is Zach Mickle. I work here at Whitfenstock, and I'm also the host of this podcast, which consists of interviews with some of the leading authors in theology, biblical studies, and philosophy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, come stop by our website at whitfenstock.com. So in this episode, um, which is the, it's actually the second of three interviews in our apocalyptic Paul booth in which we're trying to give you guys uh, kind of an introductory engagement with um, some apocalyptic readings of the Apostle Paul and this stream um, of interpretation called Pauline apocalyptic. Putting putting that stream also though into conversation with other schools of interpreting Paul, um, as well as Second Temple Jewish apocalyptic literature and even some contemporary systematic theology and philosophy. On this particular episode, I got to talk with Dr. Susan Grove Eastman, who is the associate research professor emeritus of New Testament at Duke Divinity School. Uh, She's also an Episcopal priest with two decades of pastoral experience to boot. Uh, She's the author of numerous books on Paul, most recently including Recovering Paul's Mother Tongue, Language and Theology in Galatians, which we published the second edition of at uh, Wiffenstock a couple years ago. Um, along with a soon forthcoming book called oneself in Another: Participation and Personhood in Pauline Theology, which is also uh, coming out with Cascade here soon, um, and then and then on top of all of that, a forthcoming interpretation um, commentary on Romans. So now I want to say thanks very much for listening to our show, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, so I am here with Dr. Susan Grove Eastman. Um, It's a real honor, and we are sharing a drink over a phone call, um, toasting through the airwaves, I guess you could say. And um, so what I'm drinking, I have a... um, So I just just interviewed Douglas Herring a few days ago, and I was a bit ashamed to admit to him that I was drinking some Starbucks um, just because... It was an emergency, and that was the only coffee I had. But this morning, I have a much better, um, much more enjoyable cup of coffee. I have uh, Ethiopian uh, light roast, uh, French breast, and it's from a a, um, coffee company here called Water Avenue that I really like, that one of my buddies used to work at. So I I am um, enjoying that, very happy to be drinking that, because it's 7.30 here, so it's not only waking me up, but it tastes good as well. What about you, Susan? What are you drinking?
1: I'm drinking Keurig coffee from the faculty and staff lounge here at, at the Divinity nice. School at Duke. So, but you are so clearly located in the Pacific Northwest. I can yeah. everything you're saying. Yeah. I used in Oregon, so I know.
0: Oh, okay. So you know the coffee snobbery well, probably.
1: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs>
0: Okay, so let's let's uh let's dig into apocalyptic Paul. So if you could um I know this is a, a large question, but if you could kind of sum up apocalyptic, you know, apocalyptic Paul uh that reading of Paul sort of in a nutshell, how how would you describe it? Or I guess another another way to frame the question would be how would you explain it if you were teaching sort of an intro uh, some, you know, uh, intro course in seminary on Pauline apocalyptic? How would you kind of go about on the, your first day sort of laying out the contours of it?
2: Well,
1: I'll be very brief because we have a nice, long, interesting list of things to discuss. But um, I would say that the word apocalypse means unveiling. So it is in its primary usage about revelation. The, the unveiling in that sense, and that Paul uses the noun, apocalypse, and the verb, which we don't have in English, to apocalypse, to reveal, to unveil. But because unveiling, in when it comes to God, and revelation, when it comes to God, always have a transforming power, apocalypse and apocalyptic have the sense of God's power not only being unveiled, but um, coming into the world in new ways. Uh, And so that since, because it is, Douglas Campbell says this actually very briefly in his, uh, one of his books, (laughs) Um, you know, the revelation of God means the revelation comes from God and does not evolve out of Human history. It is God's act at all times, and as such, it is powerful to save and redeem God's people and to redeem the whole world. So, part of uh, talking about quote unquote apocalyptic Paul is to emphasize this emphasis that the line of movement always comes from God to us. Mm -hmm. And that actually is quite powerful and transforming when understood to be what the gospel is about. And that, of course, that this has happened in the, I would say, the incarnate, crucified, and resurrected Christ uh, uniquely and with cosmic as well as personal consequences. Um, This is situated in the context with similarities and differences of uh, Jewish texts and traditions that are categorized as apocalyptic, often because they refer to uh, divine conflict with the powers of evil to a divine victory over evil sometimes to the end of the world is which is what apocalyptic tends to mean in in mm-hmm. modern secular usage
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to uh, this uh, power struggle on a cosmic level between God and the forces of evil I've already said that uh, that has a sense of uh, divine Power, divine, inbreaking, we can nuance that a bit. Um, and also, uh, both spatial visions of God and sometimes temporal aspects to how that's happening. And there are a lot of apocalyptic visionary texts like our book of Revelation in the New Testament in um, Second Temple Jewish uh, tech, uh, literature as well. So that's another way in which apocalyptic Paul uh, is situated in the guild of Pauline scholars, and sure. the third way is to uh, talk in conversation with theologians um, who are interested in this topic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no th- yeah, no, that's that's a great little overview. Thank you for that. Okay, so how how does Pauline apocalyptic differ from other ways of reading Paul then? I know that it's not the only way to read Paul.
1: It highlights the cosmological scope of Paul's proclamation of the gospel and, and worldview, uh, which has con- uh, interesting immediate consequences in terms of, for example, highlighting how Paul talks about sin as a cosmic power of some sort and not simply or primarily individual human actions and decisions. That would be one example of the difference that makes. It highlights uh, the themes of conflict in Paul, which are there, um, and not, doesn't sweep them under the rug, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It highlights uh, Paul sometimes in conversation with other Jewish apocalyptic texts. It uh, highlights the newness of the gospel uh, and... St- There are variations on the degrees to which people do this, but that God in Christ is doing something radically new. That it's not simply evolving out of the history of God's um, dealings with Israel and God's work in the world. Mm -hmm. The gospel does not evolve out of the present. It comes to us from the future, so to speak. That would be another way of speaking about this from um, some apocalyptic interpreters of Paul. So those are some of the ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank These
1: are you. Emphases. They're matters of emphasis and debate. Um,
0: right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. One, one thing that I, as I've tried to familiarize myself with this conversation is that's been a bit confusing to me is um, why Pauline apocalyptic and not like biblical apocalyptic or just Christian apocalyptic so I guess I guess my question is how how does Pauline apocalyptic um how like how is it distinct from uh, other sort of other forms of biblical apocalyptic whether what you find in the Hebrew Bible or in the Johannine corpus like what 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 makes it specifically Pauline would you say
1: Well that's a good question because uh, uh one of the direction that we could, needs more exploration, say, is how Paul's apocalyptic gospel is similar to uh, the the gospels, for example, or the book of Revelation. Uh, Jamie Davies is saying that we should do that, and I think he's right. Um, So what would be distinct in Paul would be what's distinct in Paul anyway, <laughs> I guess. Uh, um, sure. So the way in which Paul talks about the law is uh, is one of the ways in which he really tends to stand out from, particularly differs from, say, Matthew. But um, And if we put that in an apocalyptic context and we begin to think about the law um, as taken in hand or taken over by sin and used contrary to the law's purposes by sin well that's that's pretty distinctive to Paul, I think um that would be one example uh, but i don't think I guess I would not tend to say, oh let's go to apocalyptic Paul and then see what's distinctive about that versus this is a huge conversation i don't feel I'm prepared to talk about it, say apocalyptic themes in the Gospel of mark mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And that that would go into discussions about how he treats the law, how he thinks about continuity and discontinuity in relationship to Israel or the promises to Israel, uh even the, those in history and salvation, um, how he uh thinks about the um end of the world. Um these would be topics one would explore, I, I would think among many others to try to tease that out. That's a big mm-hmm. topic.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so um as far as kind of situating or mapping the apocalyptic Paul in, in terms of sort of the history of this development of interpreting Paul, who would you say are some of uh sort of the major figures? Um and what would you say, I know this is also a really big question, but who would you or what would you say are some of their sort of distinctive contributions?
1: Well, you know, I just tell people to read Jamie Davies' book, which I'm plugging,
2: <laughs> but Thank you. Apocalyptic
1: Paul, because it's a fabulous, brief, very clear, very fair introduction yeah. to all of this. Uh, major players in the Apocalyptic Paul, um, I, I'll go, we could go behind Kazemann, but I'll start with Ernst Kazemann, uh, who um, was extremely influential for J. Lewis Martin. What Keesmon recovered, well, highlighted over against his teacher Bultmann, was the cosmic um, scope of Paul's gospel. Uh, on a, on the theological side, I would say that Karl Barth is the major theological influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, J. Louis Martin emphasized discontinuity over continuity even more than his teacher or Mentor Kazeman mm-hmm. he emphasized the um, he talked about theological continuity and anthropological discontinuity i've mm-hmm. criticized him for that um he he talked about the um, line of movement from God to us, which I think is exactly right um, Christian Becker is another one who also uh, has not His work has not continued to receive attention, but he said that apocalyptic was at the center of Paul's thought. So if you want to read that, you can read that. Um, More recently, um, well, you know the genealogy, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) to some degree myself, Alexander Brown, uh, Lisa Bowens. These are all people who've continued to uh, pursue apocalyptic interpretations of Paul.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right, I'm curious, who was the first first of these folks that you read yourself? Like, how how did you sort of first discover Pauline Apocalyptic?
1: Well, uh, it was through uh, Lou Martin, and then I, I read Keseman. Mm. And uh, years and years ago, I I was not a, ever a student of Lou Martin, but I was participated in a study group, the Paul Study Group that mm. he. Uh, led at Union Theological Seminary. So that's where I began to really hear about Apocalyptic and Paul. And hear apocalyptic God. used as a noun, which it is not.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. he yeah, was he was my intro.
0: Okay. Okay. Awesome. But yeah, speaking of uh Keseman and Martin, you you're you often cite uh both of them um pretty positively uh in your work so how, how would you say that each of them has influenced you in a special way
2: um well martin really was a mentor
1: to me uh i th- and and what i got from martin and his wife dorothy martin who did psycho- psychology ch- child development psychology and thought about it theologically Above all, what I got from them was grace as a transforming power in human lives, and that has a um, so much larger than the self or than human beings, and yet operates internal to human beings, and yet exceeds us. I got that from both uh, Lou and Dorothy Martin, especially, but I think that's also the case. Of and I mm-hmm. think um, for Kasemon so these are because of my anthropological interests, um, what really um, influenced me from them Kesemon threaded the needle remarkably between um, the individual and and personal and cosmic uh, scope and consequences of Paul's gospel as the power of God breaking into human history in a new way. Mm-hmm. And so um, his work in that regard, especially for my interests, was really and remains really, really important. Um, <clears throat> and Kazeman also, more than Martin, maintained some awareness of a a history,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: although it's, it's truly it's a it's a history of promise that looks discontinuous um and is discontinuous from the human side uh it looks like a disaster as case Mon famously said and i love that in case mm. Mon. it's kind of acerbic <laughs> naming of um the disasters of the yeah. human history. refusal yeah. to ever get sentimental or naive or or indulge in some kind of a Narrative of progress, human progress mm-hmm. from below. K's mom will not do that, nor will I. I don't. I don't buy that. I think it's destructive. Yeah. So um, those are ways in which they. I'm just kind of brainstorming here. Um, influenced me. I'm sure there are many, many more.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So yeah, since we've we have talked a bit about sort of the cosmic scope and um, Pauline apocalyptic, I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to ask how, how Pauline apocalyptic might change the way we think about forces like sin and salvation or death and life. And how, how, does, it, how does this sort of stream of, of thinking sort of go about uh, zooming out, so to speak, to a more cosmological lens of, of uh, human life? Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
1: You can track this really well in Romans as uh, many have written. And um, so one way of reading Paul, which is not the apocalyptic way, puts the focus on human guilt, individual human guilt for individual Mm -hmm. human sins, understood as human decisions and actions. And uh, the um, salvation is that Christ has borne the consequence of that the punishment, the condemnation, so that we do not have to, and we are freed, forgiven, and freed from that condemnation. Uh, the um, cosmological scope of apocalyptic readings of Paul, there are debates about this, how, whether that notion of individual human responsibility and guilt remains in Paul. I think it does, but mm-hmm. not everybody does. Uh, But it frames it within a um, cosmic understanding of sin as something that has power in the cosmos uh, and takes humanity and even the law captive for lethal ends. And the way one sees this in Romans is in 3.9, Paul says, I've always already charged that all are under sin. And then in 5.12, on through the end of chapter 7, he talks about sin coming into the world and holding humanity captive, and in 7, using the law in a lethal way. And so that uh, salvation becomes a matter of liberation from something larger than the self. And human beings are understood to be slaves of sin apart from God's action in Christ, so that's the cosmic scope, how it yeah. zooms out to the cosmological lens, and that then affects all kinds of things, everything from how one deals with questions about kids who think that now you can do anything the the argument against mm-hmm. the gospel, against grace that if you tell people that they're forgiven, they'll just go out and sin all the more so they can be forgiven mm-hmm. all the more mm-hmm. But if we understand sin as slavery then sin isn't exercising freedom. We're not free to sin. Right. The exercise of freedom, it is, in fact, um, a a symptom of the exercise of our our bondage from which we need liberation. So Mm. alcoholism is never a free choice. So all of that is the way in which... the cause, the cosmological framing of sin and salvation, one of the ways in which it functions, but it also functions to say that, uh, instead of thinking of sin in terms of, or only in terms of individual human decisions, we can think of sin in terms of, uh, the bondage of the human race that Mm -hmm. results in abuse in racism. And, um, inequity and injustice uh and salvation as encompassing um liberation from those among many others um symptoms of sin on a social level as well
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah no thank you that's very helpful okay are there any are there any um blind spots would you say in pauline apocalyptic or areas that you think kind of need more refining or maybe just uh new or different directions you think it should um, head towards?
2: Well, um, I would say that I
1: I really think that, well, there are certain dichotomous ways of thinking that need more nuance, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've just named one that rather than saying that sin can only be understood as a and I don't use the term cosmic power because that begins to sound Manichaean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think that sin is allowed by God to exercise power temporarily.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and that's a very different way of thinking. And I, I think it's important. So I think we need to f- continue to develop the conversations with theologians that are happening already, um, both, both for the theologians' sake and for the poly <laughs> scholars' sake,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. to nuance these things. Um, Martin's language of invasion has been criticized because it seems to imply and the discontinuity emphases in ap- apocalyptic readers can imply that God was not already present and working in the world before Jesus mm-hmm. came.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so the, those become Christological and theological questions as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So those are examples of ongoing um, clarification that needs to happen in regards to temporal understandings. Of of apocalyptic spatial understandings, um, sin and salvation, forensic and cosmological notions, all of that need much further conversation. Um, I think also we could further clarify and develop a very interesting conversations within the New Testament as a whole, bringing Paul into a conversation with other first, second century Christians, um, rather than um, just reading him in a bounded way. That doesn't mean taming him (laughs) or making Mm -hmm. him agree Mm -hmm. with everybody else, which would would not happen. But it means bringing those conversations, I think, to bear. And I think a um, a third way is to bring this discussion, this whole kind of school almost now of thought about Paul as an apocalyptic preacher into conversation with the ways the word apocalyptic gets used in our culture, which is all the time
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, um, and not simply sort of in one sect of American Christianity and Christianity around the world that emphasizes the end of the world, but just apocalyptic means to stop dystopia Uh, um, apocalyptic is a very negative word Mm -hmm. in the press. It's all the time. Apocalyptic discourse, apocalyptic this, apocalyptic that. And Mm -hmm. we've had very little kind of interaction between this apocalypse is good news in Paul and that discourse. And so how might the um, way of seeing that we learn from Paul give us new ways of talking in our culture? I think that's a really interesting topic that somebody out there should really jump on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, it's, I mean, you, you mentioned the sort of the dichotomies that that Pauline apocalyptic tends to sort of erect. So, what I, I mean, what what would you sort of attribute sort of this dichot this tendency to sort of produce dichotomies or to think in dichotomies? What would you attribute that to, as far as as far as apocalyptic scholarship, like is that is that owing to sort of the Protestant influence, is that owing to the role of sort of Bart in these conversations, or, or where do you see sort of the source of of this kind of tendency?
1: That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Um, well, I do think that academic discourse tends to be polemical, yeah. Yeah. And I think Paul tends to be clinical, So you put that together and you get this way of talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, people make build careers by defining their thought over against somebody else's thought.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so I do think that that does influence these discussions. Um, and that's where a critical step back could be useful and can be useful. And sometimes there are people who do that admirably. Um so that that is that's the first thing that comes to my mind mm-hmm. um yeah uh to in order to in order to clarify something one tends to find a foil,
0: yeah
2: absolutely
1: and then that yeah. foil gets reified as an opposite point of view,
2: mm-hmm. and we
1: have to kind of go through that and come back and nuance more, yeah. I would say that I would say that there is one thing I worry about with some some uh emphasis on apocalyptic in Paul is a tendency to sound triumphalist um, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but uh but I think. I think humility is an important corrective mm-hmm. to this this dichotomous way of thinking.
0: Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, as far as your own work, what have you what have you sort of tried to contribute to um, conversation around Pauline apocalyptic? Like, how have you tried to um, advance uh, those conversations?
1: Well, I'm because my interest has always been in uh questions on the ground so to speak
2: Mm
1: -hmm. how people change how people stay the same uh how the gospel intersects with real human lives here and now so that means that my work has tended to be interested in the anthropological aspects of paul's thought which i do think were neglected for a long time kind of in a reaction against boltman maybe but Um, But now are getting more attention. So what my work has done is try to take um, the apocalyptic readings of Paul and put them in conversation with notions of the person and personhood and um, and find interesting points of intersection uh, between those usually kept apart realms of uh, conversation or discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that ranges from thinking of persons as constituted in relationship rather than being bounded individuals and thinking about how that makes a difference in how we think about sin and salvation. Uh, yeah. yeah. And thinking also about the impetus for change as coming from outside from God who operates internal to the self, but is never, never reducible to the self or to human beings, obviously, um, does not evolve out. That's quite a different way of thinking than what dominates in our culture, for example.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So those are examples. I think I would say that's where my contribution is strongest. I've also, obviously I wrote incarnation and and apocalypse, Mm right? I really looked at the, um, Link in my mind between these apocalyptic readings of Paul and the theme of in, of Christ's incarnation, and that I think that's a contribution because that wasn't much talked about,
2: mm-hmm. and yet I think,
1: <laughs> I think theologically they're very bound together.
0: Sure. So yeah. So you were you were a a pastor for many years before you entered the academy, right?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So so do you? Do you um, find yourself sort of uh, calling on that experience or drawing on that experience um, in your scholarship, or do you do you like the emphases on sort of anthropological questions? Does that emerge from sort of your experience pastoring, or do, are there are there links? Would you say?
1: Sure, of course. I think the questions we bring to our work are. Necessarily, ingredient in our lives. Uh, I so I will tell doctoral students who are thinking about what to write about. Listen to your life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Listen to the questions that arise out of out of your life. So for me, the questions that arose out of pastoral experience were questions I brought to academic work. And what was interesting to me in New Testament was that those questions, which seemed to me to be incredibly obvious. would be refreshing and new
2: <laughs> <Sure, laughs> the
1: sure. guild, the academic guild tends to have all the windows shut and just have yeah. a, a closed room conversation the air gets stale
2: yeah
1: they seem to be there there is a tendency to have a conversation among scholars uh debating each other's points but there's this whole world out there that is so interesting <laughs> so i think that um my questions very consciously uh come from trying to see what the difference the gospel makes in the world mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a refreshing angle to operate out of yeah I'm unabashed about that,
0: yeah definitely <laughs> definitely not everybody okay does. so you're you're sort of tiptoeing into this already, but um so in your own work you you are sort of like you said, bringing discussions of the apocalyptic Paul to bear on kind of life in the church, and especially like you said what you know what sort of human transformation looks like in kind of an ecclesial setting um in in sort of the church community setting so what what does Pauline apocalyptic contribute to our understanding of of how Christians are formed in community
1: yeah. I wrote a lot about that in a way in my first book on um, recovering Paul's mother tongue
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, on Galatians. Uh, That's where I first tackled this and ended up attacking a lot of the dichotomies that I've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the first thing would be to say that it frames Christian community within the larger context of God's liberation of the world. So that the kingdom of God is not defined by the church. And that, to me, means uh, that the church is porous and incomplete at all times because we await the final revelation and the final consummation. And that the membership of the church is not complete because God is not limited to the church and God's work in the world. The church didn't exist when uh, Christ came into the world. Yeah. (laughs) Or died on the cross (laughs) or was resurrected.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So Christ's uh, solidarity is with the entire human race. And so that really, um, in K's was really strong on this. One of the many things I I learned from K. Zaman in part. Um, so that means that the church uh, needs to have a certain humility about its identity and not, you know, there, there are these hymns that say, I love thy kingdom, Lord, the place of thine abode, and then goes on to talk about church architecture. This is just not right. You know, this is mm-hmm. not so it is. So this this openness and this expectation that God is still at work in all creation, and of course, especially that God's the the uh, full redemption of Israel keeps the church from thinking it's complete in and of itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So <clears throat> that is the first the apocalyptic expectation. I would say, does in my mind create a kind of eschatological reservation, to use that term that's debated, but Mm -hmm. it means that we just are not complete yet, nor can we be. And that means that we learn to live with a lack of resolution, and that creates room in the church and in the community of the church for mutual acceptance rather than a kind of perfectionism that casts out those who are different Mm -hmm. and creates a false unity based Mm -hmm. on conformity. Um knowing that we are not complete in ourselves as individuals or as communities, nor should we be, is actually a very healthy
2: life-giving mm-hmm. thing.
1: That's part <laughs> yeah. of it. Part of it is this grace, which to me is the gift that God continually give, has given and gives in Christ. Uh, that means that our identity is grounded in gift. Rather than in mm. achievement, a simple thing, but one that churches tend not to preach
2: mm-hmm. because
1: they like to talk about how great we are as a church, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that just doesn't quite get at the room to name that we are not great, but yeah. yet yeah. we are still God's. Um, so that is another huge aspect of how people change in the church, and it is having an identity that is grounded in gift and expressed by giving that gift of uh, undeserved, unmerited love to one another, and that is grounded in the future and drawn into the future, not grounded in the past. All of these have huge implications, and those are apocalyptic themes. The church is not defined by its glorious past, but by what God is doing and will do now uh, in the future. Those are some examples of um what I sometimes call apocalyptic pastoral care. I have thought about writing a book with that, <laughs> child, but I'm not doing it yet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <I don't know.
0: laughs> that, that sounds delightful. No, yeah, I, I I think that's beautifully said, and I like you quote in one of your I I read parts of um, uh, your two books, and I, I I can't remember which one it's from, but you quote uh, Rowan Williams who talks about the church as a network of saving relationships or something like oh, that. Yeah. I just, yeah, I really like that that sort of imagery. Um, okay, so John that's Wates
1: also says my health is not in thinking that I am at one with myself. That's mm-hmm. also th- both of those are in recovering Paul's mother tongue, okay. and that's part of this theme that we live. He says we live in uh, change that is time, and exchange that is relationship. So we're always, that's part of being part of a network of saving relationship. We are not complete in ourselves. We are not at peace in ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not resolved in ourselves. This is not what mental health looks like. That's a really quite a profound thing to say, because we are always connected with others yeah. and change.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so J. Lewis Martin is someone that you speak uh, really highly of in your in your work, but you also offer some kind of... Uh, I would say gentle pushback to the sort of elements of his thinking and one you've, you've alluded to already, which is his, his language of, uh, sort of invasion. And you, you are, you kind of nuance that by, by returning to a language of incarnation when you're talking about the Christ event. So what, what's, um, what's sort of the distinction you're drawing here between these two terms?
1: Well, Invasion. I, I think I said this is in an article. Apocalypse and in incarnation. Um I invasion implies a, a rescue mission, as I put it of, you know, like some ninja-like figures dropping into the place where people are um enslaved and and mm-hmm. um you know victoriously uh and maybe violently releasing them. Uh incarnation means Christ comes in to that place. And so fully identifies with us that he dies on the cross so and of course Martin would agree with that uh and always emphasize the cross as the revelation of christ so i'm um, i'm not but but the nuance to me is that um incarn- well there are two things one incarnation shows in a sense how hidden and um how hidden the pow- re- revealing and liberating power of God are in Christ. And, and Christ's full solidarity with us in a way that, incarnate, that invasion does not to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the second, of course, is the theological point that, um, that God was already in the world. God, God has never been absent from the world. Um, but the incarnation is the the climax and the full enactment of God's solidarity with the world. But it's it's pre preached in the prophets and it's pre-preached in the and you know, God's revelation to Israel. So so that's that was what was at stake for me in that. But where I always am in continuity with Lou, where I think the consistent thing in apocalyptic is that um, everything is, as Bart would have put it, a from God. Um, that the line of movement is from God to us so that we are not climbing the ladder to become like God, but God has become like us uh, and joined in solidarity with us. Um, incarnation also, of course, Morna Hooker has talked about this, um, puts the, the emphasis is still on the cross and resurrection, but the identity of Jesus as fully human, as well as divine, uh, is crucial mm-hmm. in every sense mm-hmm. of the world, word to the redemptive power of the cross and the resurrection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so incarnation highlights that. It's not Paul's language a lot, but I think he assumes it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah, no,
0: it, yeah, it definitely is. I think that I I picked up on that um, in your in your chapter uh, from uh, the book we published on. Oh, it's it's. Uh, I know the subtitle is "With and Beyond" J. Lewis Martin, and it's edited by. Right.
1: That's the Apocalypse and Incarnation
0: yeah um, okay okay, okay in
1: that book yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's I talked
0: about that yeah, yeah i probably shouldn't say this but it was my favorite uh, chapter of the, <laughs> the ones that are... <laughs> there
1: are other good chapters in that
0: yeah oh no. yeah it's a delightful collection okay um so turning to sort of contemporary figures you mentioned a few names earlier but um who would you say are some some um sort of contemporary figures that are active in the field now um an apocalyptic paul uh scholarship that you th- you think their work is especially promising um and then what what about their work uh is impressive to you
1: I'll name some Pauline scholars that I think are especially promising okay and then i'll talk about that rather than um categorizing the first i'm a little wary of these categories because yeah
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that tends to um foreshorten in a way or or get in the way, short circuit Mm -hmm. uh, full engagement with people's work sometimes. Um, So I think, and I've this is your next question about a good book if you want to familiarize yourself with polyapocalyptic. I do think that Jamie Davies' new book is just really clear and really Mm -hmm. helpful. And I I think what he's doing in the kind of nuancing and engagement he's modeling are really good really helpful. So I would say that. And, um, I'm curious to see what he does next. Um, and Jervis has new work coming in on, out on Paul and time. And I, am eager to see that because again, whether we call this apocalyptic school or not, it's engaging with the um, questions of Paul and time, which people in the quote unquote apocalyptic school, I never know if I'm in or out of that. Um, but I don't worry about that too much. Um, She's uh, offering some new uh, readings on the topic of time in Paul, which I think will be very important. Mm -hmm. Um, Lisa Bowen's work, which really engages with Jewish apocalyptic thought uh, and questions of conflict and battle and epistemology, but also questions of race, I think is really important. And I'm uh, eager to see where she's going with that. those are the first people that come to my mind, of course, um, Doug Herring and various other theologians are continuing to think about mm-hmm. Paul and Paul in relationship to politics um, so that I would also add um, yeah those those are some off the top there's of yeah. course, I'm looking forward to others. I'm looking forward to Alexander Brown's commentary on first Corinthians and and Beverly Gaventa's commentary on mm. Romans, um, mm-hmm. for example, uh, among others. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Um, yeah. So you you may have already answered, or at least answered in part, the the following question, um, which is: Are there sort of any um, any particular books or articles you would recommend people start with if they're new to Pauline apocalyptic? Uh, where Where would you recommend? folk star maybe Davies that's where I started his new book with us um on on the apocalyptic Paul but are there are there other places as well that you would recommend
2: um yeah I would recommend
1: um there's an essay by Jonathan Linebaugh uh who would not probably call himself Apocalyptic Paul. <laughs> okay, I think nice. he's an excellent New Testament scholar. And he he uh he does have an essay. Let me see if it's in this book. Yeah, in the B- Word of the Cross, Reading Paul, Jonathan Lindahl, excellent essays. There's one in there where he takes Kazeman to task for um for starting with uh a a schema of Jewish apocalyptic as pre- predating Paul and as giving us the framework within which to understand Paul and Davies says no we have to start with Pauls preaching and uh, Paul's letters and then understand what apocalyptic is from that standpoint so it's an excellent little essay I recommend that let me get the title for you it is called uh,
2: debating well I'm not sure I might be debating
1: diagonal to Kiyosune but anyway it's in here and I recommend or it might be the death of Christ is the definition of the righteousness of God yeah the death of Christ is the apocalypse of God's righteousness so that's I think a really these are really interesting readings engaging with Jewish apocalyptic thought and, and texts a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so i would put that out there um i also should my, name my colleague douglas campbell who continues to uh very much write from an apocalyptic pauline standpoint mm-hmm. in his own mm-hmm. particular way sometimes we agree sometimes we don't but
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: that's what makes life interesting so i'll put his work out there um and then i would put the the um edited volume by doug herring and let me see if i've got it here i think i have all these right behind my head okay picture <laughs> you know, the of theology i'll put that one out there too
2: there
0: yeah we go. and that's the one of... that's the one we just mentioned yeah
1: right because you had Cause... had doug on your on your show yeah yeah um, that's another great collection for starters
0: yeah thank you thank you for that. Um okay uh i want to I want to give you a chance to um talk about your book uh, Recovering Paul's Mother Tongue since the second edition of it just came out yeah. um, fa- fairly recently uh, yeah. with us at Cascade, which we were very pleased and honored to be publishing the second edition. so um for those who haven't read it uh, for our listeners who haven't read it, could you um just maybe kind of uh, quickly summarize uh what you're up to in that book?
1: yeah I wrote that a long time ago, but the second edition has a couple of extra essays at the end appendices um oh and oh another while well, I met this before I go on to that yeah. Martin de uh has a collection of essays uh called a- Apo- paul theologian of god's apocalypse and yes. which are excellent yeah. and he is so characteristically very very clear and even handed yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he's an Excellent introduction, also to the issues in ap- uh, reading Paul apocalyptically. So that's a that's another great one. Mm-hmm. going put that out there and give give credit for Mark yeah. for Martin
2: Thank you. It's really
1: important. Um, and what made me think of him is he wrote the forward
2: <laughs> for okay. the second
1: edition of Recovering <laughs> okay. Paul's Mother Tongue. So Recovering um, Paul's Mother Tongue uh, wrestles with Galatians four, a section of Galatians four that gets um, has less attention where Paul talks about himself as um, being in labor with uh, the Galatians and then talks about, so in a feminine image, and then also uh, talks about um, the uh, Hagar and Sarah uh, story and Jerusalem as a mother. So what that book does is wrestle with questions of human transformation and continuity in relationship to these feminine images in Mm -hmm. um, Paul, because uh, I wanted to give attention, that's why I say mother tongue, I wanted to give attention to those feminine images. Um, Beverly Govinta has done some of that. uh, Lou Martin has done some of that, others also. But I'm looking at how Paul uses this feminine language, both to um, to talk about the sustenance of uh, believers over time, as well as their genesis in the gospel, and so I'm very much interested in these questions about the continuity and discontinuity of identity. So that's what that does. It looks at those feminine images within their context in um, in the prophets and uh, where the prophets use images of God as a woman in labor. And I talk about God, this feminine image of God in labor. And also it looks at the language and portrayal of Jerusalem as a mother city and mother cities in Jewish apocalyptic literature. And the function of those uh, in um, giving hope and um, how Paul utilizes that image, which he gets from Isaiah and transforms it. Um, So the end of that is to begin to think in fresh ways about how uh, the grace and gift of God um, create newness and yet sustain us over time in the church. So I talk about the gospel creating a history. That's my engagement with Martin, for whom there almost is no history. <laughs> and uh, but he does use that term the gospel creates a history so i talk about creating a history as creating a community and a network of saving relation
2: mm, that's yeah. kind of a
1: rambling thing i hope that's helpful but you can ask no that, that is
0: that, no that is very helpful yeah i i uh, like i said i got to read the introduction kind of in prepping for an interview and it it made me <laughs> I'll, I'll give a little bit of a confession it made me want to uh Find time and space to read more of your work because uh, <laughs> okay. I really enjoyed it. And <laughs> I, but uh, yeah, the the trick, of course, is as you know, uh, being probably a voracious reader yourself, is uh, finding space in the list of uh, to really read. Sure.
1: <laughs> but so I will I will put the plug in. This is Whip and yeah. Stock for the forthcoming collection of essays, which includes Apocalypse and Incarnation and a bunch of others with Whip and Stock. Yes. cascade in part of the cascade library it's in press yeah.
0: and so, what's the oneself. what's the tentative title of that one again
1: oh it's oneself in another
0: yeah yeah, then,
1: yeah. <laughs> participation and personhood in pauline theology
2: okay yeah
1: so yeah. it's about 10 12 essays something like that
0: yeah yeah we're very um, very much looking forward to that one thank you <laughs> Yeah, I'm course. happy to
1: have it off my desk.
2: And, I'm
0: my sure. Desk. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and
1: Grant Haskell was another really interesting um, New Testament scholar who would not necessarily call himself an apocalyptic yeah. reader of Paul, but who engages right. with apocalyptic Jewish texts in relationship to Paul in depth. He wrote the intro, the foreword, and his okay. work also is, again, really valuable.
0: Yeah. I think he was Jamie Davie's doctoral he supervisor yeah. as well, yeah. yeah yeah yeah,
1: and he really looks at the intersection of pauline theology and and issues in human life as well, I think in really interesting ways it's important important work
0: um okay, so we'll we'll wrap up with one um, final question, which is uh where or how can can our listeners learn more about you and
1: well, they should read this book of forthcoming essays. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm retired now from Duke. Uh, I sometimes go to conferences. Um, sometimes those are Zoomed. I will be at a conference actually in Toronto on apocalypse, apocalyptic comma, the heart of Paul's gospel question mark in Toronto mm-hmm. and May. <laughs> so this is timely. Um, but, uh, I don't have an, I don't have a podcast or anything like that. So all I can say is I'm Googleable. and
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Davies Uh, sent me some information about that conference in Toronto. It looked like quite a stellar lineup of folks who are giving talks.
1: I'll say also, I have a uh, commentary on Romans coming out, but it's not done yet. So. It'll be the interpretation series. So it's Uh, really for pastors.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Susan. I, I, yeah, I very much value you. and taking some time to chat with me this morning.
1: Thank you, Zach. Good to chat with you as well.